you. Whether you like it or not, you've got you to gotta love them. And I think, you know, I think about people, I think about my family, I think about my kids, and I think about how they, for example, how they treat the house. They come in, and I was saying, is Zoe here? I have to be careful. No, okay, good. Because I went into the basement a few months ago, and there was a, a, we have a couch in the basement, and there was something, I can't remember if it was a cup or a bowl, and I she left it on the couch, bless her, and, and so I picked up the bowl, and, and, and it was stuck. I had to peel it off the couch. I'm like, oh, I love my daughter. You know, I'm not going to, like, reject her because she stuck a ball on the couch. I don't even know where it was stuck. I don't even want to know. When you're family, you're comfortable. You love the place. You relax. You don't sit on the edge and just criticize all the time. When you're family, you, you, you're different than you are when you're a visitor. And I think sometimes the church can be filled with people who just want to sit on the edge and be critical. And we're saying, hey, come on in. Sit on the couch and leave your sticky bowls there. We don't mind. Because it's okay not to be okay. We're all in this together. That's the beauty of church. Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Listen, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. So it builds itself up in love. Friends, if you are not in church, if you are not committed to church, Christian friends, if you are sat on the edge looking in, you are missing out on some of the most profound promises that God has given us in the Bible. You are missing out on what is real life. For you as a Christian. So what does that life look like? What, does, what should life in the church family look like? I'm grateful for this lovely passage in Acts 2. That gives us a picture of what church should be like. And I'm going to read the whole passage and then just center into a couple of bits throughout. Acts 2 verse 42. And they, that's the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling um, their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is a picture of what church should look like. The first thing I want you to notice is in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. This word devoted means sold out, kept on doing, consistent and continuing. They were day in, day out, devoted to what? The church. The church. Not the church, the building, but church, the people. They were a church of the committed. They were committed to God. They were committed to one another. And I want you to notice there's a really powerful word in the middle of that. They devoted what? Everyone? Thank you, all six of you themselves themselves they devoted themselves 
They made a decision in themselves that they were going to be devoted to the church. As for me and my house, David said, we are going to follow after God. They devoted themselves. This is not something done for you. This is not something that I have to woo you into. Look at all the sparkly things come to church. Look at how good we are. Look at how well we drum. Look at the lights. Look at the lasers. We don't have lasers. We kind of wish we did. But Look how good the coffee is. Let, let's entice you in like, like the wicked witch. Come on. Come to church. Look at how great we are. If I'm honest, part of the reason that I got ill 18 months ago was that I was doing that too much. Trying to get people to come. Trying to get you devoted. Trying to create devotion and commitment within you. And then God, in the middle of my my taking that time off, said to me very profoundly and very abruptly, said, Glenn, who made you the Holy Spirit? I was like, that's not the sort of question you answer. You just go quiet and think. They devoted themselves. This is not something done for you. There's discipline attached. There is, we say it quickly, but there is no perfect church. And I've said this before. And if there was, you would ruin it. Amen? Because we are not perfect. The second we went to a perfect church, ruined. Why is church not perfect? Because we're doing the best we can, all of us together, to figure out what it is that God wants us to do. And sometimes we don't get it right, which is why our foundation as a church is this. Because this, the cross, the Bible, the gospel, we can't go wrong with that. But the methodology and what that looks like on a week and day-to-day basis is different. And we don't get it right all the time. They dedicated themselves come in from the edge what were they devoted to first of all they were devoted to God's word Acts 2.42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching see God's family is devoted to God's word we unapologetically as a church network Willow Park Church believe every word of the Bible even when that makes us uncomfortable Even when that challenges us, even when it makes us go, man, culturally, that is not what people think. We believe what the Bible says. We believe that the Old Testament points to Jesus. We believe the New Testament is about Jesus. We believe there's aspects of the Old Testament that that speak clearly to the gospel. There are parts of the Old Testament that we can look at that our culture would point to and say, well, what about this? And we can easily say, that is not the way God intended for people. Jesus is the way God intended for people. I can stand here and I can unapologetically say as a pastor that I disagree with many of the ways people choose to live their lives, but that does not mean to say that I do not love them. We are dedicated to God's Word. I have said this before from this pulpit, and I will jump into this a little bit more next week. But there are many times I am deeply ashamed of the way that the church globally has treated people in our society. I am deeply ashamed of the way church has treated people of same-sex attraction. I am deeply ashamed of the way that the church has treated minorities. 
I am deeply ashamed of the way the church has treated people who are not like them. Because I do not find in the New Testament anything that would support the actions of the way that the church often has treated people in our society. I might disagree, and I often do. I disagree with certain lifestyles. I disagree with the way people choose to live. I disagree with lots of things that the church rail against. But it does not mean that I do not love because I see Jesus hanging out with people who seem to be very different from him. Loving them. Where did we get it, friends, that in order to love somebody, we have to agree with what they do? Where did that come from? Because if have kids for five minutes you realize that if we stopped loving them for every time they did something we disagreed with, we'd never love them. Isn't that true? So I might, I might have big disagreements with the way my same-sex friends may live their lives. Does that mean that I therefore don't love them, care for them, support them in any way that I can and show the love of Christ to them? Where did we get that disconnect? I don't know. And so as a church, we are devoted to the Word of God because the Word of God is our standard and yet we stand on it in love. We stand on it firmly, unapologetically, but we stand there in the light of Christ's love for me and therefore my love for society. Amen? Secondly, they were devoted to life together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. I love this word, fellowship. Fellowship was always that thing that my pastor used to say, well, we're going to stay after the service and we're going to have some fellowship together. And fellowship to me meant lukewarm tea, coffee, but you didn't have coffee in Britain because it was just nasty, and slightly stale cookies. That was fellowship. Do you you know what I'm saying? In, In Canada, fellowship is coffee and Timbits. And then we stand in circles because Christians just seem to gravitate to standing in circles, ready to hold hands if we need to and pray. But that, that's not fellowship. Fellowship is not coffee timbits and standing in Christian circles. Fellowship is actually a heart-satisfying sharing. It's a relationship. It's a covenant word. It's almost like a business word that you actually have something together, common together. Fellowship is a byproduct of what Christ has done in my life and what he's doing in your life that binds us together. That's fellowship. You don't make it happen. Like When it comes to relationships, we, we live in an, an interesting culture and I think that um, it's quite commonly viewed that there's really kind of three different levels of relationship. And as I share this, I want you to think about what do you have in this? Where are you in these relationship levels? And forgive me for saying levels, but, but oftentimes um, they, they, these relationship standards emerge. You don't just make a decision, well, I'm going to be a covenant fellowship friend with you. It, it, it grows. So I think the first one is most common. That's the surface relationship. You know, that's that you, you know them, but not well enough that you can get past small talk. How many of you dislike small talk? You find it hard work. You'd rather just stand there and not say anything at all. 
rather do anything than talk about the weather and the price of cheese. You know, it's uh, that's kind of surface relationship. And I think as a church, we're in danger of camping out there because you come a little bit late, you do the service, and then you scarper. Surface relationship. It's like I'm I'm just out of here. Maybe grab a tin bit on the way, but I'm off. Relationship. You don't want to jump in. It's not any deeper than that. Did I say something wrong? Scarper means run. Sorry. You figured that out, though. The next level is personal relationships. Personal relationship is where you are willing to talk about your life, your job, your problems, your family, what's going on. You've gotten past small talk. You can have a coffee quite happily with somebody and talk kind of personal relationship talk. That's fine. But it's still not the third, which is fellowship. Fellowship is where you talk about your life, talk about your problems, talk about your family, but then you talk about your heart and your soul and your struggles and your feelings. How many of you shuddered just a little bit when I said talk about your feelings? That's covenant fellowship relationships. Your failures, your fears, your ambitions. And maybe this is offensive in this country, but do you have somebody where you you feel free to be able to spit and swear and they're not going to judge you for it? That's fellowship. That, that, that's covenant. And you don't just make that happen. It comes about from being on common mission together. Let me tell you that again. It comes about from being on mission together. Moving in the same direction. Your attitude towards church is perhaps the greatest test of whether you are following your calling. Let me say that again. Your attitude towards church and fellowship and relationships is the greatest test of whether you are following your calling. Because if you are living out your calling as Jesus commanded, you need church to stay strong, to be encouraged, to be prayed for and supported. If you do not need church, friends, I love you, but it's true. If you do not need church... You are not following the calling that Christ has given you in your life. Because if you were truly all out doing all that God has given you to do in your community, sharing with people, being persecuted, finding it difficult, like man, it's just, but you are dedicated to following your calling, you will be running to your community group for support, encouragement, prayer. You'll need that fellowship relationship, you need that covenant relationship. You need to sit down with somebody and go, man, I I had a rough week. Not just a counseling session, but a it's hard being a Christian conversation, you know? Uh, I had the pleasure last week, last Tuesday, of going with the group of guys in my community group to see a a movie, Hacksaw Ridge. and, And I'm always very careful about recommending movies because you can get yourself into trouble as a pastor. Because you recommend a movie and then the people go and see it and then they're like, oh, pastor came to see this. It's a 14A. He, wa- he watched this. I don't think we should go back to that church. So I need to let you know, this is a brutal movie. 
a uh, story of a young man who is a Christian. And do you know what throws me so much about these movies, watching and thinking about the sacrifice that had been made by soldiers in World War I and World War II and whatever war, is how young they were. Like, same age as my son. And it just blows my mind. And I could rant about <laughs> the comparison between then and now. And I'm not going to go there. Crying rooms. That's all I'm going to say. For those who read the news. And I think, man, they were just a little bit older than my kid. And this, this, this young man went to, he was 25, he was a little bit older. And he refused to touch a weapon. And uh, it's just a phenomenal movie. And I don't... Go see it, but be warned. It's a, it's a, it's a brutal movie. But here's what strikes me. is the relationships that are formed in the middle of battle on that common mission. That is covenantal fellowship relationship. Why? Because it's formed and forged while they're all fighting at the same thing together. And friends, the stronger we feel the sense of calling upon our lives the call to that mission called Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel, then the more forged together we will become because we will need one another just like, and, I, and I'm very hesitant to compare ourselves to the young men and women who gave their lives over the years, but they had a common cause and so do we. Are you devoted to connecting with people around you in an intimate way or are you getting church done once or twice a month and then scarpering? Are you dedicated to jumping in and being involved and loving the bride like God loved the bride? Because you will find in the midst of that will be the greatest joy and fulfillment and purpose that this culture cannot offer. They were devoted to celebrating the gospel. Acts 2.42, the breaking of bread and prayers. They, this whole idea of communion is, is, is remembering what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus had fellowship with a group of men as he walked this earth, as he was heading towards the cross, that he died on the cross so that these men and so that all the men and women after could come into a relationship with him and love like he loved and care like he cared and have community and communion like he did. He died on the cross. Jesus' presence in our lives and as we preach and sing and celebrate the gospel at church together, it strengthens us. It unifies us. So quickly, what was the result of all this? They impacted each other's lives profoundly. I love this. This, this scripture blows my mind. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And day by day they attended the temple together, broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. If you read that carefully, what you'll see is not only were they generous, but they were generous to the point where they were selling their stuff to give it away. And can I point out to you, there is no mention of rich or poor in that passage. They weren't judging whether or not somebody deserved to be given something, whether they had the socioeconomic status to actually receive something. They were all in common, rich and poor, giving to one another, because they weren't judging one another's state. They were just saying, this is the right thing to do. They were together. There is nothing more as impactful and beautiful as a church that is together. And life 
together is not just meeting together. It's just that. It's life together. Do you have that? I'm almost 44 years old and I've had the opportunity to look around society and see if there's any organization that offers what this offers. And there isn't. We've fostered a culture of what's in it for me. The church is not about me. It's about him. And it's about you. And your attitude is the same. It's not about you. It's about him. And it's about those people around you. You see, Luke gives us examples of extreme generosity and eating together and rejoicing together. They're selling stuff together in order to give it away together. The rich and the poor were helped. Our community needs that. You need that. That's real life. It goes on and it talks about how the church had favor. In John 13 and verse 35, it says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you know that as we as a church gather together and join community groups together and not just sit on the edge but actually jump in and we share life together and we seek those relationships that are deep together then, and we love one another, then that reverberates out into our community and people notice. They go, wow, what, what's going on there? The greatest way that we can show the love of Christ in our church, in our community, is by first of all showing it to one another in church. So when you hear me say it's important to go to church, and I say it a lot, um, it's important that we prioritize community. It's not just for the crowd, it's for this. It's for community. It's for relationship. Because there'll come a point in your life when you will desperately need it. And maybe you're right there right now. Maybe you just need church in its truest sense of the word. I want to finish by just sharing a story that I have shared before a few years ago. And I think it illustrates so profoundly what we are facing in our community. I was in a little village called Chibali, which is about four hours uh, west of Uganda. Uh, sorry, west of uh, Kampala in Uganda. And uh, anything that's four hours outside of any major city in Africa is, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. And um, I remember being uh, visiting this place. We were trying to develop a school there, and, uh, and it was a wonderful experience. It was a shocking experience for somebody who was so Western. I and mean, I've been to some poor countries, but I'd never seen anything like this then or since, frankly. Um, I remember visiting a family in the middle of the banana bush, and, and it was just a little hut. It was your classic story that we become immune to, I think, but it was a tiny little shed, basically, and, and I was invited in. There was two rooms, and nine members of the family lived in these two rooms, and they gave me their one piece of furniture to sit on, which was a stool that was one of those kind of slatted stools that, 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 that are flat, you know, you, you kind of, the legs come out and you sit there. And, and I was like, no, no, it's fine because there was, some, there was two um, grandparents there, one of which had a massive tumor on his neck and they're giving me the stool. I'm like, no, no, no. And, they, and then so, and my, my translator, he was funny, he said, take it. I went, okay. Because, <laughs> you know, it, I, I didn't understand culture and so I'm learning as I'm going. I'm, I'm sat and, um, 
and they're sharing, and then they asked me to pray for them, uh, a prayer blessing upon them, and it was the hardest prayer that I could ever imagine praying. Just, it was so profoundly impactful. And I came back to uh, my room, which, you know, uh, was kind of Hilton standards comparatively, but to us, we'd probably not want to spend too long even in the room that I was staying in. But I sat on the edge of my bed, and I went quiet, and I was thinking about everything I experienced. This was maybe 12 years ago. And I started to cry. And then I got mad. I got mad at God. I said, God, how is that? Like, how, what do I do with that? How do I... What compartment do I put what I just experienced in and you still be a loving God? I said, how, how is that right? And I got really mad. And you know what? God can take it. He can take questions like that. It's just not right. How, how, what do I do with that? And I felt so clearly one of the most profound moments because I knew it was God. He said this, how dare you it was a Job moment you read the last couple of chapters of Job how dare you and it just hit me and I knew it was God he said this how is it that I'm I'm paraphrasing but what is it that makes you think that they are worse off than you because I look at them and I look at their hut and I look at their one stool and I think, oh, well, God looks at their soul. God looks at their heart. Am I saying, therefore, it's okay that they live like that? No. But then he went on to point out to me that I live next door, metaphorically, to people who are in worse state than those people. Because God looks at the state of their heart. And friends, we live in a community of the broken of the needy, of the abused, and I don't care whether they are driving a Lexus and living in a $5 million house. They're broken, they're needy, and in worse state than those nine people that I visited in Shibali. It was one of the biggest lessons I ever learned. And people joked when I said, oh, I'm going to Kelowna, I feel called to Kelowna. Oh, poor you. Actually, yeah. Because one of the toughest, Jesus said it, communities to break into with the gospel are the rich, the affluent, and the comfortable. And yet we drive our cars thinking we're okay because we're driving a car. <laughs> and friends, I, you know my heart. It was a reminder. It's a reminder this morning that our city, our culture, our community are a community of the broken. And they need this church. They need us together. They need us in community. They need you to come from the edge and into the center and say, sign me up for that cause. What do you want me to do? So this is not a rally call for volunteering and it's not a rally call for more money, but it is a rally call to join the cause that Christ has put onto this earth called the church that he gave his life for. And so I hope that as a result of what you've heard this morning, we had a very different eclectic service i love it but my my hope is is that what will resonate inside your spirit and your mind this morning is is am i am i in am i in that community and you know what if it's not this church god bless you go and find another church 
I don't mean that nastily. Go and find a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and commit to it. Dedicate yourself to it. Because the local church is honestly the answer to this broken world. Let's pray. Lord, there are some messages that you give me that are challenging to prepare because they challenge me so profoundly. And Lord, this was one of those messages. You know that. God, I wrestled with it. And and Lord, my prayer is that these people, those who call South their home and Willow Park Church their home, would, would also wrestle. That Lord, that we would not put you and your church on the periphery, but Lord, that we would put you and your cause and your church and those loved ones you have put around us, sat near us right now, that Lord, that we would make them center. That we would see, Lord, that it's the best thing we can do for our city. It's the best thing we can do for our neighbors. It's the best thing we can do for our kids. That we would make this tribe our own. Father, forgive us for not loving the bride in the same way that you love us. And Lord, I pray that, that we would join the community groups, that Lord, we would come and pray together, that, that Lord, that we would jump in. God, I pray you would guard me from just wanting the crowd, but Lord, that, that we as a church would want that community that we just read about. Speak to us, Lord, I pray, as to what our next step would look like. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life to welcome us into the family, to forgive us of that which we struggle with and the sin that holds us back, and say, come to the altar. I'm all you need. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and your love.